2: Sowing the seeds of cannabis and sounding the praise of our favorite plant, it's time to hemp Hempresent. Our radio resident Hemposapien, Vivian McPeak, will present a weekly platform for guests and listeners to Hempresent about hemp and cannabis from the legal, activist, and reformist route. Let's round up and roll it up for our headmaster of hemp, Vivian McPeak.
3: Welcome to the Present Resistance, the weekly radio podcast where you can fill your knowledge void of cannabinoids and get your PhD in THC and CBD because you don't just want to burn it, you want to learn it, seeking to defeat the alternative facts of prohibition one interview at a time and advocating for the plant the whole plant and nothing but the plant join me for a weekly reefer radio rebellion against prohibition as i speak with some of the principal risk takers movers and shakers and history makers of the cannabis industry culture and reform movement i'm your host vivian mcpeak i am the executive director of the world's largest annual cannabis policy reform event the seattle hemp fest still kicking in its 28th year found at hempfest.org i'm also the author of the book protestable twenty year retrospective of Seattle Hempfest from AHA Publishing that's also found at hempfest.org. Today's guest on Hemp Present is Karyamet Alif MD. I have seen Karyomet speak at several events. His presentations and perspective was so unusual, inspiring, and well-received that I asked him to be on the show today, and thankfully, he took time out from his busy life to speak his views for you to hear as well. Dr. Karyumet Alif is a multilingual physician scientist who brings life to science and vitality to our concepts of medicine. His 35-plus years' experience in natural products research and discovery spirals the globe from Ivy League academia and Silicon Valley biotech to the remote healing forests of the Amazon, Australia, and Africa. From teaching appointments at Harvard and Stanford... Dr. Alif has been welcomed to over 50 countries as a keynote speaker and guest lecturer, giving insightful presentations to governments and institutions, corporations, and executives, health-focused professionals, and community groups worldwide. Dr. Alif is presently chair executive officer at Praxigen Biomedia and New Biome Clinical Sciences. Welcome, Dr. Alif, to Cannabis Radio.
4: Thank you, Vivian. Thank you for the great introduction, and it's an honor to be on your show
3: my pleasure Uh, let's just start off with kind of a standard question I have for a lot of folks uh, which is your history with cannabis when did you discover cannabis what does the plant represent to you what's the spirit of cannabis as you see it
4: Uh, Well, that depends on whether you're asking me like as a border official so what's your history with cannabis and I would say uh, with plausible deniability none but uh, the reality of it is uh, I have personal experience with cannabis going back a very long time back to college I guess and also in college having an interest in medicinal chemistry and drug development that um, initiated in uh, what's called the natural products sector uh, meaning uh, the development of medicines that start with uh, natural products and so back when I started 40 years ago um, natural didn't mean what it does now. Now, natural makes people think of safe and alternative and all those things. But back then, it just mean meant that it came from somewhere in nature as a starting point, like, you know, vitamin B12, as opposed to coming from a laboratory or some biotech facility that invented the molecule without really knowing what it could do. So the vast majority of medicines throughout history have always come from nature because that's where we live and that's where everything is and nature has an amazing ability to create novel molecules and what fascinated me was the ability of nature to produce a molecule um, you know, like the opiates or a family of molecules like the opiates or the cannabinoids that are highly specific uh for functions within the human body, receptor sites as they're called. And that just completely blew me away because why would a little pretty flower from Southeast Asia or, you know, a despised weed from the American Southwest and Mexico, why would they have specific medical and healing effects on the body um, when they're not even part of our, you know, genetic lineage? And so that to me is like, wow, nature is making these things that work in the body at a, you know, at a molecular level, that's that's like philosophically astounding and scientifically intriguing and so that's really when I got caught into it it's not specific to cannabis but cannabis just happens to be the most diversely effective of all the plants that really have uh, come to the public for
3: and that's because of, of the endocannabinoid system is that right principally
4: well <laughs> or it, it depends That would be the scientific answer. To me, everything has to do with people. So the main thing, the reason the endocannabinoid system was discovered was because so many people in the 1960s were turning to cannabis as a part of their culture, you know, the hippie culture as it was referred to, and that promoted uh, an extensive investment. In cannabis research in several countries, including the US, UK, European countries, to see what the effects were. And so mostly they were looking at you know toxicity effects like drug abuse issues to try and show all the reasons why nobody should use it. but at the same time they found some other properties. And so this funding, because research always depends on funding, then uh, initiated a momentum which then resulted in the discovery of the endocannabinoid system and other aspects of cannabis science. So there would be no endocannabinoid system if it wasn't for stoners, as they're called. <laughs> and so it, it's just true. You know, it's uh, one of the things I mentioned, I guess, at HempFest last year that I said, you know, it's, it's easy to give the credit to physicians or scientists or whatever and and try and mimic a lot of the language that's used by that science, like CB1, CB2, um, and anti-epilepsy and all these things but there are not there are not enough epileptic kids or enough little old ladies with arthritis to lobby the government with enough force with enough you know kind of names and and signatures to be able to create you know propositions that um, then lead to legalization of recreational or medicinal or whatever other categories it just it just wouldn't happen. You don't, you know, you have 300,000 people at Hempfest. There's no way that they're all going to be people in wheelchairs. Our society just would never support, you know, that sort of thing. Cause we just, we don't make life very easy for people in wheelchairs. So, um, it's the people that were partying and, and, you know, dropping out and seducing one another and whatever else it was that people were doing, whether people judged it positively or negatively, it's that sheer grassroots, uh, movement that then drove everything else that led to this finally distilled uh, scientific resolution called the endocannabinoid system.
3: You have an extensive scientific and medical background. In your opinion, how valuable is that background when it comes to working with cannabis? Should those credentials be of high value by the cannabis community when it was scientists and doctors who were extremely complicit in justifying? almost a century of
4: cannabis prohibition well you know this country is a funny country because depending on how you categorize individuals um, a group can seem like they are your enemies or your um, advocates or your uh, compatriots and so um, you know a lot of people might have issues with lawyers but civil rights lawyers have made a huge difference in the world for Women, minority, gender, uh, optional issues, or however that's supposedly termed. And so, um, you know, scientists and physicians are pretty much the same. You know, every scientist and physician that I know of and probably that exists anywhere, you know, started out as another kid that was in third grade or sixth grade with you or me or someone else. And they are all raised in that same culture. So they're just as susceptible to whatever sorts of let's call them distractions as a politician might be as a president or a governor or mayor as a contractor as a lawyer as anyone else and so yes if there's you know money or prestige uh to be uh, gained through uh supporting any sort of an agenda whether it's factual or or factitious you know, you're, you're likely to be able to recruit somebody, you know, it's kind of like people being able to recruit suicide bombers, you know, it's just that there's a wide range of, of, of humans out there. And just because somebody has a degree, MD, PhD, or whatever else um, doesn't mean that they won't um, sign on with a, uh, with an agenda that ultimately may not be particularly scientific, much less helpful to humanity. So in, in, in saying that, I think that science is very helpful for the cannabis community because it's a way of answering certain types of questions that people have because our current culture is very kind of tech oriented. So people ask questions like, does cannabis cure cancer? That's a very techy question. That's very different than saying, will it help my uncle who has cancer? Um, I've seen it help someone before, but that word cure is a common word that has become an FDA word. And as soon as you say cure, and then you want to recommend to someone that it will cure your cancer, wow, that's a big technocratic you know, phrase that you've hit somebody with, and that requires a certain amount of scientific evidence. If people are happy to accept that it has shown benefit uh, that people have reported benefit, if people are willing to accept grassroots evidence that's often referred to as anecdotal, um, then the science part isn't so important. The challenge is, is that we like to try and generalize information and say that what worked for me will work for you and will work for your next door neighbor. That when I went to a Thai restaurant last week and I thought it was great that I know you'll like it too and so will your friends. That's part of our cultural conversation. And so we like to generalize these things at the same time that we argue that we are individuals. So science is useful in that sense for being able to filter out and distinguish the subjective from the objective. Um, But it shouldn't be given veto power um, such that they can tell you that your truth is not a valid truth because they're not the owners of truth or the concept of truth. It's not supposed to be a religion and they're not supposed to be priests.
3: My guest is Karyumet Alif MD. We're going to take our quick first pause for the cause because there's flaws and laws. Hear word from our sponsors, advertisers. Come back for the meat of this show. Stay right there.
2: Time to roll out for the people that let us present. Hang loose.
5: We're coming right back. Cannabis industry professionals want to gain some new leads? Make genuine business connections and get premier brand exposure. This is your opportunity. NCIA's new industry socials are coming soon to Portland, Maine, New Jersey, Pittsburgh, Baltimore, and Miami. Register today using promo code CannabisRadio20 to take 20% off at thecannabisindustry.org events. Sponsorship opportunities available. Register today. Garden centers throughout North America, and ask for the original fabric container. Find a store near you, or order yours online at SmartPots.com.
6: Educate, empower, and engage in the evolution of the cannabis industry. Join thousands of industry professionals on August third and fourth in Miami, Florida, for the return of the U.S. Cannabis Conference and Expo. Register for an early bird discount now at USCCExpo.com. That's USCCExpo.com.
2: We're back to Hemp Presents, only on Cannabis Radio. Now, back to our headstrong Emperor of hemp, Vivian McPeak.
3: We're back with Kari Met, uh, Alif, MD. Uh, you have said several things I'd like to ask you about, starting with you would like to liberate people from the dependency of science. Uh, what did you mean by that?
4: Well, you know, we ostensibly live in a culture uh, that's based in freedoms, and as you go around the so-called free world, that's, you know, is a, is a watchword or a catchphrase. Um, but at the same time, people in the population have a tendency to at once rebel against and seek out authority, to, to seek validation for their own experiences. And so as a result in our current uh, social structure, individuals without credentials especially but individuals do not have the right of truth it requires a quorum it requires peer review it requires training in order to you know make a statement especially a statement that is uncommon and so you know if someone says they had a near death experience well why not it's okay well science has never proven it well science hasn't studied it but why do people need to disbelieve it until the scientists prove it and how do you know the scientists are genius enough to catch all the details and everything that's true and to have no you know alternative agenda that would make them not want to say it's true because maybe they have a religious vantage point that for them says that this can't be true And so, like I said, because they're human beings, you know, they're, they're not, you know, Mr. Spock or commander data from star Trek. And so, um, that's what I mean. It's that, you know, children are raised to trust priests and people are raised to trust doctors and scientists. Um, but we recognize in our modern time that these people are susceptible to many, or if not all of the uh, human foibles that everyone else is. So, I just wish that people liberate their uh, concept of truth from those authorities. You can agree or you can disagree, um, but science has been wrong so often. In fact, I posted on LinkedIn today an article that comes from the Journal of the American Medical Association that shows that there's a lack of evidence behind uh, a great number, if not the majority of Cardiology recommendations for heart health for patients.
3: Like uh, aspirin, for example, evidence. right? We just heard that aspirin, right, aspirin changing
4: their tune. Yeah, aspirin was a big failure. Aspirin was being recommended for everyone, and then later it said, well, actually, it was only really helpful, apparently, for the people who had already had a cardiac event, like a heart attack. But for other people, it could actually be harmful because it can cause GI irritation and bleeds that can actually. Uh, lead to death. So, you know, anytime you have a reality that's based on a statistical projection, you're going to have flaws. You're going to have side effects, okay? And so, you know, if I want to say that all Japanese people eat with chopsticks and all Mexicans like burritos, well, maybe I'm I'm 70% correct or 80% correct except that statement should be a hundred percent correct. No absolutes, saying, oh. right. Yeah, exactly. And so there's a lot of absolutism because, when I tell you, this is the best Thai restaurant. That's an absolute statement. If we would just be a little bit more humble. And then you ask me, just, you know, what, say, you what, know, what does best mean to, to who? Right? Right, right, right. So the, the listener should scrutinize the absolute statement, but the speaker to me, ideally, would not make an absolute statement that is not absolute. I could say this is the best Thai restaurant I've ever been to. Great. That's my experience. I have all the data inside of me, and that is the reality, unless I forgot something. That's always possible. And I come back, oh, oh, I forgot, yeah, when I was in Chiang Mai in Thailand, but I wasn't thinking of Thailand. So, you know, why put 100% faith behind a human who is not 100% infallible? Neither are smart devices. You know, so it's just this this cultural need for 100% approval for this black and white dichotomy and not dealing with the thousands of shades of gray that are in between any dogmatic extremes, any set of dogmatic extremes. So the science part is useful. For instance, like CB1 and CB2, that lets us know things. That lets us know more places that we can explore But really, ultimately, cannabis works because cannabis works, not because of the endocannabinoid system and not because of CB1 and CB2. And the endocannabinoid system is not limited to um, not limited to the effects of cannabis. There are other molecules that affect that system. So we're going to keep discovering more and more and more. You know, if somebody pricks their finger, they can say they discovered the circulatory system. Do they really understand it? You know.
3: Right, right maybe some truths are anecdotal uh, you've, you've also said that CBD and THC are like twin brothers but CBD is an Eagle Scout and THC plays in a grunge rock band which I really identify with being from Seattle uh, what did you mean by that Right.
4: well they could be twin brothers or twin sisters um, that uh, just using these societal archetypes you know of the you know good boy and bad boy that um, you know, people like CBD. Why do people like CBD so much? Well, because it doesn't get people high. Well, why is getting high a problem? Uh, because that's a, a societal issue that is, you know, uh, problematic in the minds of the general populace. Even among people that are doing it in public, they'll come out against it. And so, um, people shift their attention sort to- towards CBD because it's clean like an Eagle Scout and it it doesn't do anything wrong and it does all of its homework and gets pretty much straight A's in school. Uh, Doesn't cause any problems for anybody. Whereas THC, well, you know, it can cause a psychotic experience or paranoia. Um, It can make people irresponsible. It can make people fall asleep when they should be awake. It can do all of these things. And so people like to heap a lot of negative judgment on THC, but it's just another molecule and it just does what it does. Um, And that's why I say it's kind of like a grunge rock band because, you know, the neighbors, you know, who do they want to invite to their, you know, Thanksgiving, New Year's, whatever party and maybe introduce to their daughter, you know, the Eagle Scout or the grunge rock, you know, kid. The thing is that they work best together. And so CBD has no issue with THC, and THC has no issue with CBD. In fact, they grew up sharing a bedroom inside of the flowers of the cannabis plant. And so um, it's us that has an issue, and they both contribute greatly to human well being. And, you know, if you want to heal a human, say at risk teenagers, you know, you probably would do best having both of them on stage at the same time. The kid that has straight A's and the clean haircut and the kid that has piercings, tattoos, and, you know, a, a guitar lassoed around his shoulder because if those two agree and they both are saying, Hey, you know, you kids that have ADD, you kids that have a lot of anxiety or depression, or, you know, you kids that, you know, whatever sort of problem, even insomnia, that have uh, social rejection issues. And when I say kids, I'm meaning people anywhere from the age of consent all the way up to the age of death, because most of us are kids. We still are primarily children just with adult status. That when you have those two on stage together, they work better together, whether it's for the epilepsy, whether it's for the cancer, whether it's for traumatic brain injury. Um, and it's a matter of having a balance. If you just have CBD up there on stage, you're going to turn a lot of kids off. If and you just have THC on I, stage... Yeah, I,
3: okay. I assume you're referring to the entourage effect and, and the idea of whole plant therapy where they work better all together than separate?
4: The entourage effect is really a pharmaceutical term. Okay, Anybody that is experienced in botanical medicine, anybody that maybe is trained as a naturopath would know that... Every plant medicine is an entourage because it's never a single molecule. So entourage effect means that there are several molecules that seem to work better together than when you isolate them and give them separately. Isolating molecules and giving them separately is a pharmaceutical approach. Like I mentioned from medicinal chemistry, it's a linear approach. It's a lot easier to analyze with a linear mind and linear sciences like pharmacology it's, it's our cultural attachment to being able to say cause and effect. Okay. And um, we like to have the silver bullet to be shot by a lone gunman. You know, we don't want right. multiple players involved. And, and so that is just processing power within the human brain. Our culture doesn't like diversity. You don't want diverse choices. People want to say it should be this or that. And so the entourage effect says that actually, you know, um, a more perfect union is achieved when you have representation from these multiple bioactive constituents rather than just isolating one or another based on that it's in the majority. Why do we focus on CBD and THC in the first place? Because they are the majority constituents. Isn't that very culturally common, like in a so-called democratic society, whoever got the most votes, you know, they got more than 50% of the votes. So they're important and everything else is not important. The other cannabinoids and the terpenes and everything, we can throw them away. That is a cultural choice. A shaman wouldn't do that. Okay. I doubt even a traditional Chinese, herbalist or an Ayurvedic herbalist would do that because they're used to dealing with this whole thing and in fact combining multiple plants where you have then multiple multiplicity, if you will. So the entourage effect is just a pharmaceutical term to give uh, credence to this recognized concept in pharmacognosy or botanical medicine that when you have multiple bioactive components in there at the same time, Uh, There may be additive effects or even synergistic effects. The problem comes, you know, that in uh, pharmacology and pharmaceutical medicine, most people, let's say, you know, especially over a certain age, past 45 or 50, they're not just taking one prescription drug, they're taking multiple. So that entourage effect is occurring in humans all the time. And when they say, oh, well, CBD and THC affect liver enzymes and that has an effect on prescription drugs, it's like, yeah, well, those prescription drugs have an effect on CBD and THC. But hey, beyond that, coffee, tea, barbecued meat, you know, uh, smoked cheeses, grapefruit juice also have an effect on that same system. So every human has a diverse entourage effect occurring all the time, all the time. But we like the authorities. To be able to tell us, oh, you need 10 milligrams of CBD and you need, you know, five milligrams or one pill of Viagra and you'll have a fine weekend, you know, and that's just a little bit ridiculous. But in an automated fast food sort of society, people like those quick decisions and people seem to feel like the person who can make a quick dogmatic uh, conclusion is smarter than the people that say, well, let's try this. Give me a call. And if you need a little more, I'll tell you how much.
3: I'm still talking to Carl Yamet, Alif, MD. We're going to take another pause here, work from our sponsors, come back with our final questions.
2: Time to roll out for the people that let us present. Hang loose. We're coming right back.
3: Cannabis industry
5: professionals want to gain some new leads and get premier brand exposure. This is your opportunity. NCIA's Cannabis Caucus are coming this month to San Francisco, Los Angeles, Denver. Lansing, Michigan, and Philadelphia. Register today using promo code Cannabis radio 20 to take 20% off at thecannabisindustry.org/slash events. Sponsorship opportunities available. Register today. Now available for pre-order through crowdfunding for just $14 plus $10 shipping. Pouches, premium mixing, and rolling pouches allow you to carry and prepare your herbs for consumption with discretion and ease.
3: The business of cannabis should be no crime. Hemp Inc is even hot proved by the man who run high times. Oh yeah, get it on Android and I and iOS today. Marijuana, llama out. Got to tend to me on crops, channel. You know. Money don't make itself. Hemp Inc.
2: We're back to Hemp Presents, only on Cannabis Radio. Now back to our headstrong Emperor of Hemp, Vivian McPeak.
3: We're back for our final questions with Karimet Alif, M D. Carl, you met there are hordes of people racing into the cannabis industry. Some of them have been involved with cannabis for years or decades. There are others, quite a few others, motivated simply by a desire to make a lot of money very quick. In your opinion, how important is or what's the value of root motivation as it relates to these things?
4: Well, I think that root motivation is everything for a human being. And, you know, that's both in the material world and in the so-called spiritual aspect of a human. I believe that it's unwise to try and separate those two. And as long as we have a society that requires material or capital gain in order to maintain physical survival, then there's going to be a motivation for profit. I personally see profit as public approval of the value of whatever endeavor I'm engaging in and you know people might criticize something like say Amazon and Jeff Bezos but he started out as a small business and it just happened that a lot of individuals like to use that business and it's a lot of individual people giving money to those people that led to him being the richest person in the world he didn't get that money from five families that were already rich and so um, with respect to cannabis yes the root motivation um, but there's so many different possibilities you know people that want to cure diseases people that are fascinated with its medical applications, people that are fascinated with the agricultural aspects and, and the ability for communities to take care of their own medical needs at a local level and not have to depend on pharmaceuticals. There are lots of root motivations that are worthy. I simply say that recognizing for some uh, an, uh, motivation or an incentive to remain sustainable in a profit-oriented, or some people might say capitalist society, that profit is essential. How one measures profit and how one pursues it, that's the aspect of character. And so that, if those two are not separated, if the the, uh, character or the integrity aspect, which maybe is partially spiritual, is not separated, from the profit motive then it's not profit at all costs you know it is it is recognizing there's a value to being able to sell product in another state or in another country but there's also value to not crushing the cannabis industry in that other state or that other country so that the only person selling cannabis is your company uh it's you know it's a an interesting thing i mean i think. There are lots of examples, Amazon, Starbucks, Apple computers, Microsoft, most of which come from our area here in the Pacific Northwest that are very dominant. Uh, and lots of people have an issue with that, but they can simply just use another system. Um, they've been accused of antitrust and all these things. So the question is, as I arise to the ranks of, you know, multinational billionaires from within the cannabis industry, will I be the same as them or will I be a better person? Will I be more like Rockefeller? Will I be more like Elon Musk or Paul Allen or some other people that seem to have a more uh, community oriented or philanthropic interest? So, you know, that's, that's the thing. I, I think it's a great spiritual challenge to be wealthy or super wealthy. I'm interested in taking that challenge.
3: Paul Mettleef, uh, MD. Thank you so much. We're going to have to leave it at that. Thank you so much for being All on right. the show and, and for your critical work.
4: Thank you very much, Vivian, and I look forward to seeing you at a conference soon, and surely at Hempfest this summer. You bet.
3: That concludes this installment of Hempersen on Cannabis Radio. Except the quote of the week, which is: "We are not human beings having a spiritual experience; we are spiritual beings having a human experience." And that is French idealist philosopher and Jesuit priest Pierre de that concludes this installment of Hempresent on Cannabis Radio completely. I want to thank Brasco, my man in the control room, and all the Cannabis Radio sponsors and advertisers. Join me, next week for some more reefer repartee and cannabis confabulations with some special hempostapien on a journey to justice. Until then, my friends, stay strong, stand tall, toke it easy. Don't forget to email me at hempresent at gmail.com. The Hempresent theme song, Take Back the Plant, is performed by Sticker Bush and sung by a much younger version of myself. Turn up the music, Maestro, because I'm out.